anchor on what's the goal or objective you have for yourself, whether it's personal or if it's professionally, I want to achieve this level, I want to make this much, whatever the goal or objective is for you, that becomes my anchor. I don't need a vision board, works for some people. It's here, I know it. But then the next thing is, as I'm progressing through on the journey to achieve that, um, being really self-reflective. Before we dive in today's episode, I have some exciting news I need to share. If you're a business owner or professional or entrepreneur looking to skyrocket your growth through podcast creation, video production, or public relations support, we've got you covered. Connect with our team at GrowthStack Media. We're here to help you grow faster and more affordably. Visit growstackmedia.com today to book a free consultation or reach out through our contact details in the show description. We can't wait to help you make your business even more badass. All right. Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Badasses in Tech. Today, I am joined by Victoria Pelletier. She is a 20-plus year corporate executive, board director, number one selling author and professional public speaker, and is known for being one of the youngest chief operating officers to start at the age of 24, president by 35, and CEO at 41. Holy moly. Welcome to the show, Victoria. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here somewhere. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. And I can't wait to dive into a little bit about your career path, what you've learned along the way. I know our listeners are going to be very excited by all that we're able to provide them today. So just to kind of get us started, what do you think started you off on this super impressive career path? Do you have kind of like a an early memory that you can associate to to really get you kind of jump started on all that I just covered? Uh, I I do, and I um. I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek and his, you know, start with why. And um, and that's very personal for me because as I started to do more and more coaching and mentoring of people, and particularly um, women and advancement of, of women um, in business and tech and beyond, I realized I was a do doing a disservice by not explaining my why uh, and some of the choices I've made, um, you know, traveling, you know, almost 100% of the time when my children were extremely young. I worked the same day I gave birth to my youngest, although she was sleeping, she was sleeping. And so I explained that my why is that I come from extremely difficult begin, um, early years, beginnings of drug addicted teenage mother who was extremely abusive to me in and out of the child welfare system, fortunate to be adopted, um, but by a family that was much lower on the socioeconomic um, totem pole, if you will. Dad was a janitor, mom was a secretary. So I was determined I'd be better than biology or circumstance. So I started working at 11, supervisor like by 14, graduated high school at 16, went to university, you know, on my own, bought my first house at 19. I was like, again, determined I was going to be better that fight or flight. You can make decisions and go follow the, you know, the, the path and footsteps um, of those that have gone before you, or you can forge a very different path. And that's the that I chose. That's so awesome. And I, I can resonate to that. I mean, and I love what you're saying. It's like starting with your why. Uh, I come from very similar upbringing, background. You know, my both of my parents struggled with addiction. I was, thank God, raised by my grandparents who gave me, you know, the the roof over my head and the love and care, but also 
you know, they came from a completely different time where you worked for one company or, you know, you had one profession for your entire life. And I felt like very similar to you. You know, I, I want to forge my own path. I know that there's got to be more to life than what I saw growing up. So um, I, I can resonate with that. And uh, I, I know when we talked earlier, kind of over email and, and after I've done some research, I've noticed kind of one of your big pillars is resilience. So can you talk a little bit about how resilience kind of comes into to your story and, and maybe how, how that maps back to your why? I, um, my, my nickname that my best friend has given me is the turtle. Uh, and that has nothing to do with like pace because I'm like extreme A type running faster and to slow down for others to catch up. It's more around that tough exterior, the that that resilient shell. But the reality is I'm still I'm really all marshmallow inside, uh, you know, crying at the Humane Society commercials on on, on television, um, kind of kind of um, softy. It learning how to develop a healthy level of resilience. And I and that's important to me because I. Very early on, giving the trauma of being abused by my biological mother to like being completely ostracized as a child. Uh, I mean, you can't see through, you know, the square video screen. I'm I'm only five foot eight, but I hit this height by the time I was 11. Fully, you know, when I was eight years old and like, so, uh, you know, it wasn't fun being the tallest, taller than our teacher. I skipped a couple of grades, being teacher's pet. All these things came and I was just, I never learned away. And early it was about putting walls up. And I don't think, healthy way to be resilient. Uh, I learned how to compartmentalize exceptionally well, but then over the years with continued adversity, even just from a in, from a corporate standpoint, I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions. Those all come with like a significant amount of upheaval, of change, and oftentimes I'm the one having to make some of those really difficult decisions and impact other people's livelihood. So I had to learn how to, had to do it in a much more healthy way. And so that, for me, it's kind of this four steps. And, you know, one is anchor on what's the goal or objective you have for yourself, whether it's personal, it could be a fitness um, or if it's professionally, I want to achieve this level. I want to make this much, whatever the goal or objective is for you. That becomes my anchor. I don't need a vision board. Works for some people. It's here. I know it. But then the next thing is as I'm progressing through on the journey to achieve that, um, being really self-reflective. You know, I'm very, very quick to emotion. Uh, and so understand why, where did this come from? Is it fear? Is it insecurity? Like, wh where does this come from? Is there an experience in my past? And then the next step after that self-reflection is how do I model the thoughts, the action, the language behavior that's going to progress me forward to that goal? But then the last in that is it's give myself permission to fail. You know, we're perfect in our imperfections. And so when something comes, whether it was in my control or not, some obstacles come my way, given my self permission to fail, but pick myself back up and go back to step number one. That's the goal. Let's get back on the horse. That's where we're going. Yeah. And that's where I can see that's where the resilience comes into play. You know, it's it's okay to fail. And I think so many of us, myself included, are afraid to fail. And and until you kind of give yourself that permission, you're stressed all the time. You know what I mean? Like you, you approach life, you kind of approach everything in a completely different mindset. It's it's make or break. And, you know, I, from from my experiences growing up, I didn't have necessarily 
the I didn't have like role models of like that is the profession that I want. I my you know I my mom's a CEO. Like never had any of that. So the fear of failure was very real for me because I to me it was well I'm kind of forging my own path and if I fail at this then what's going to happen? Am I going to am I going to be like a version of myself that maybe I don't want to be. So there is something very freeing about giving yourself that permission to fail, but also having the resilience in a in a healthy way to not keep yourself down, right? Like to be able, like you said, to to go back to that step one. And I'm curious, you know, it sounds like you've you've seen a lot in your life. You've done a lot in your life, but can you think about a first kind of failure that that really stuck out to you and that was kind of pivotal in in your career or your journey that maybe helped you get to get you to where you are today. Yeah, I am. Um, as he mentioned, I became a COO at age twenty four. It was a, I was young. It was a very big stretch role for me. Now I'd been working for many, many years. As I said, I started at eleven, but I got recruited out of banking, so I was running large scale banking operations. And the, the outsourcing company that hired me as their CEO had large banking clients, and I had been running large contact center operations, which was their business. So I met a lot of the ticks in the box, but there were many things that um, I, I didn't. So everything but finance reported to me. So all of a sudden, the world of technology, of HR, of sales, of marketing, all these other things. So I don't know that I love the phrase or, um, or moniker like around imposter syndrome, but I really wasn't sure. I felt like I belonged there. I was the youngest leader by at least two decades. I was the only woman. I am part of the LGBT community. Uh, I was married to a woman before now being married to my husband. So I just, I felt like I was the only period of everything. And so I, part of my not so healthy level of resilience back then was I'm going to wear a mask. I don't want to give any reason to think I haven't earned my seat here and that I'm highly capable. So the turtle that is marshmallowy inside never appeared, never appeared, right? You would not see that I was vulnerable and I had emotion because I didn't want anyone to think I was soft. I was weak. I lied about my age. If I got forced, I told, told people I was older. What woman does that? Um, but like those were the things that I did. I Then I found out a few years later, my nickname was the Iron Maiden. That, that, and when I first heard it, I was like, oh, well, that's kind of unfortunate. But again, I was very good at managing performance, like I was delivering for, you know, our our leadership team. But that's not who I am. That that was probably one of my biggest failures by showing up the way I thought I had to as this young female leader and not being my authentic self, not showing vulnerability, those sorts of things. That was a huge mistake. And uh, so I had to learn to do things very differently. And it made me so uncomfortable summer like coming I'm all business all the time I would walk into a meeting and it's like we launch right into the agenda hold on a second like let me take five minutes to engage with people to build relationship with them and understand I'm a human being as well and more about what what were their personal motivations what's their purpose tell me about your family but again I'm so used to jumping right into the agenda that's something super simple but then the more challenging thing is you know how do I start sharing my story? my why help you along to recognize that you can overcome adversity so it um it, it made me uncomfortable but i i'm a huge believer that the things that don't challenge you 
um, will not it will not allow you to grow if you don't lean into those things that make you uncomfortable. Absolutely. And I mean, your experience at such a young age, I don't fault you for it. You know, it's it was probably a little bit of a survival mechanisms, you know, like a, a defense mechanism, if you would. Um, you know, you're like you said, you you were in a room with people two decades ahead of you. So I, I can only imagine this maybe self-doubt or all of the different thoughts that went into your head. So naturally, you're trying to create the facade of what they're doing. You're trying to mimic it. And again, it's that survival, that survival mechanism. But it sounds like what you're hitting on is it maybe that part of your life wasn't a failure because look at where you are now, but maybe it's more of you're seeing where not being vulnerable or not taking a little bit of time to just say, hey, you're a person, I'm a person, like let's let's get to know each other besides the corporate stuff, besides the skill base. Is that kind of, am I picking up on what you're trying to put down? Yeah. For sure. I think um, I think I had a, a tremendous amount of respect by my team members. Uh, and but I but I think to some extent they feared me. I wanted to build followership. I want people to come along with me. And unlike, as you said, the generation before us who were used to working for one place all the time, I've moved around every few years and I want people who want to come with me because they believe in me as a leader, as my vision about the fact that I'm going to protect them and advance their career. That's followership. Uh, and uh, again, respect, but bordering on fear was not what I, I wanted. And so I had to be a different kind of leader and engage in a very different way to be the kind of person I would want to work for. Hey, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode so far. If you haven't already, why don't you take a second to click follow or subscribe on the platform you're tuning into so that you won't miss a second of Badasses in Tech. Also, if you're really loving what you're hearing today, why don't you drop us a five-star review or leave us a positive comment as it really helps the podcast grow and helps us continue doing what we're doing, which is helping people become a badass. Can you talk to me about that mindset shift and kind of what what made you realize like, oh shit, I need to kind of switch things up and how did you figure out what you needed to do differently? It, it was, it was this, you know, hit in the face being, you know, told I was the Iron Maiden was my nickname. Yeah, yeah. And I came in one Monday morning and I was talking to a colleague and she's like, what'd you do this weekend? And I said, oh, I went to a movie and I was bawling and I didn't have Kleenex. And she kind of looked at me. She's like, Vic, like I thought you'd be the type of person who'd laugh at people who cry at movies. You crying? You have emotion? I was like, <laughs> I was crying. And so I'm like, well, so, you know, that huge, like, you know, visual, audio, everything in my face was like, okay, I need to do different. So I knew I had to, had to shift around just even me personally. And how. so I have to show more of myself, like that's not me. But there was also some business sort of data that supported what I needed to do to create a more inclusive, I see. Uh, positive culture. Yeah. So the, the, the world I first entered in as an executive, the outsourcing world, it tends not to be the destination. Um, so you think of doing, you know, outsource telemarketing or customer service, 
some tech support that's a little bit more of a destination, but the others are not. And so what you find is the people that they come to those jobs take it because when they become unemployed suddenly, so it's the role they take between their, their, their real, quote unquote, real job or their new immigrants to the country. And so there's extremely high turnover. And so I recognize like I'm, I'm likely still going to lose a lot of them because they're coming to us for that those reasons. But I don't want them to hate it so much that they hop to that next in-between job. So let me find a way to create the right kind of leaders, myself included, that people enjoy working with. And for the time that I have them, and hopefully I have more time, so I'm reducing my turnover rates, but they feel more engaged and they want to be here, want to do well. And so therefore, that like they're more productive. And so that drives top and bottom line results. Not to mention the fact it's it's good for all of us humans working in business. So it was a combination of those two things, this reality presented to me around how I was known, but also recognizing creating a better workplace environment and culture was just really good for business. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. What, you know, like you're almost hearing a perception that you do not uh, identify with, that Iron Maiden, it almost, and when your colleague said, oh, you cry, like you were probably like, wait, I, yeah, I'm a marshmallow. You don't see that. So tell me a little bit about the leaders that you are trying to build or that you're trying to be or you already are that inspires that that productive culture that you were just talking about. I think to be an effective leader, you there there need I think there's this perception that being this kind of what I now refer to um, and I'm writing, actually, one of the books I'm writing is around old human leadership. Uh, and so being that kind of leader does not mean that the bit you trade off business results. And so it means as a leader, you need to be really clear with the team around what success looks like, how it is measured, be really clear on outcomes and deliverables expected for your team and hold them accountable to that. As a leader, um, I'm I, I'm also really committed to building diverse teams. And so that means I'm not hiring the people that come with 10 out of the 10 requisite skills I've posted. I'm hiring for diversity of experience, all other elements of diversity between, you know, gender and race and all those. So all elements of that, my role as the leader is to help bridge the gap in that skill gap and develop them personally. And also aligning what they do to not only the purpose of the organization, but bringing that down to the individual level. Like it's it, COVID actually drastically changed. And I hate I hate the social you know phrase I and mean, it got headlines, you quiet quitting, the great resignation, whatever. But that came about because employees were truly rethinking about what was important to them and they work that they did to purpose and impact in their personal values. I believe it's my role as a leader to uncover what those are and make sure they're in the right role and building a bridge to develop them to get to where they want to go. I love that. It's so it's almost like puzzle, like putting a little puzzle piece together. And so what I'm hearing is that there's really not like, here's three things to do to be it's what I'm hearing is you really have to get down to the individual. You really have to understand what makes them tick. What are their goals? What are their strengths? And what are their blind spots and help them case by case reach the goal of the organization or the team or what have you? Yeah. And it is like a puzzle piece. I mean, you're 
you're taking a strategy that either you're developing or um, or working holistically across with other leaders in the organization to develop and bring that down to the level of the team. But then you're pulling together. I, I think there's data that shows, again, diverse teams innovate and problem solve much more quickly. Mm. Uh, again, higher engagement and productivity numbers by doing this. So it's even finding what's the the great mix that com- comes together, these ingredients of all these different people, and then how to optimize and, and get the most out of them, going back to, as you then sort of played back, how, how do you do that as a leader to the individual level? Yeah. And I found in my experience, whether it's I'm dealing with a, a team lead or a manager, or I'm working with a, a peer or a coworker, the I find that I do better, a better job, I'm happier, and it just seems uh, there's more openness. You know, you're not afraid to kind of be open and honest with feedback and, and different thoughts when there is, when they do take the time to really understand, hey, you know, your birthday's coming up or what'd you do this weekend? Just like very simple things versus somebody who might come in and we're down on numbers this week. Who, who's in charge and what are we going to do? So it is, it's like you want, of course, you want to always have your goals and your metrics. And that will always, you know, be the the North Star or have that the, the data driven approach. Right. But you don't want that to overcompensate what you've been talking about. And I can't wait to learn more about your book, Whole Human. Is that the title? Whole Human? Yes. Whole Human Leadership. And I tell the story. Yeah, I tell the journey. I, I'm actually just finalizing the title, so it, it'll nice. have that. In, it might but, change, <laughs> but it, the, well, it's going to be somewhere is that. But it, but it's also going to say the the journey from the Iron Maiden to the turtle. Uh, oh, I'm going to mix those two together. I haven't finalized on the title exactly. I'm back and forth on a few. Um, the the other thing I'd say somewhere is um, trust is what has been questioned greatly uh, um, over the last number of years, and so getting to that human personal level. Being authentic, being transparent, being vulnerable, all of these things, that's what builds trust. And that's what employees are seeking right now. Uh, And so as much as be clear about objectives and success metrics and spend time with people, at the end of the day, we want to be able to trust the people that we're working with. Do they have my back? Uh, Like that kind of, that just comes with a very different human element in terms of how we're engaging. Yeah. How would you say, whether it's, you know, an example that you have done, or maybe you've seen it work very well in practice with others. How can people be vulnerable at work? Uh, I, you know, I don't, I'm going to say not everyone needs to be as open as someone sure. like I. Sure. <laughs> Recognized, you know, very different like personality types, comfort with sharing some some things. So I like people are going to, but I also encourage people to lean into the things that make you uncomfortable. As I said earlier. And so, you know, vulnerability for me, I, I'd say if, although I still think we need fil- a filter from a work perspective, uh, it, it's appropriate, but when we're making decisions, I like to provide the context behind what, like give people the why. Why are, why are we changing the strategy? Why have we acquired this company? Why are we reorganizing? Let me take you through my thought process. But the vulnerability comes with, and so knowing that I usually run large scale operations, which is where the majority of the like headcount sits, I'm usually having to do a lot of that work. And I, I want them to understand also, uh, like it pains me to have to go 
I understand that I'm like impacting people's livelihood here. Uh, there's a vulnerability. And when I've had to lay off people, like initially the uh, the Iron Maiden would never have shown tears. But I mean, I, there, there's moments where now, and, you know, I'm having these conversations and I want the moment to be for them and to feel their own emotions. But at the same time, naturally a tear flows because it's a really, really tough one for me. And then I'll, they'll do that. And that's where, um, and not everyone's going to be like, is not everyone's even a crier. So I'm not saying that. Some of the stuff that you're thinking as you're having this dialogue and the contextualization of the, the and rationale behind why you've made these decisions, just talking through some of that is about vulnerability and transparency. Totally. And that's something I talk about a lot on the podcast. Two things is, you know, bringing people along the journey, um, understanding your emotions, but not necessarily letting it completely overwhelm you, right? Like you can show, you can show emotion, you can shed a tear if it's, if it's natural, um, but don't let it, like don't allow it to keep you in bed all day. You know what I mean? And on the flip side, and now that you've mentioned kind of your definition of vulnerability and, and how you have maybe exercised it in the corporate setting or seen it work. I never thought about it in that way, but I, again, I, I, I've seen where it works and I uh, respect the, the people I work with who they'll say things like, my worst case scenario for this is, or uh, my biggest fear in this is, and it, it, there's something about the the way that that's phrased where your ears perk up, like as someone who's listening to a project leader or a boss or whatever, like your ears perk up and and you're like, oh, they that's their biggest fear. I don't want to put them in that fear. Um, so I love that. I love the way that you put that because a lot of people think I'm being vulnerable, like, you know, I'm I'm uh, just a hot mess at work or I'm. I'm letting all my dirty laundry out to my coworkers. Like, maybe not, maybe not so much of that. But having those those moments and and not being afraid to say, you know, here's my biggest fear, or uh, I'm feeling a little bit of heartburn over. Like that was my my little saying when uh, when I was working um, with a bunch of teams. I love it. I have a heartburn phrase. I might I might pearl that at some point. Steal it. It seems to work. It's like. I'm getting a little heartburn. Like we're not fully there yet. We're slowly but surely, but something is like something needs to change relatively quickly, or else we're not going to meet the goal, or else you know something's something's not going to go well. So, tell me a little bit more. I'd love to dig in um, the next kind of half of our conversation. I'd love to dig in because a lot of our listeners are either entrepreneurs or they're aspiring entrepreneurs or they're professionals that are feeling a little stuck in their current role and might be wanting to branch out into something completely new. So I know we touched on your early years and and that very quick progression that you had in your career. But can you tell me a little bit more like how did how did you do it? And what were some of those like pivotal milestones or pivotal points where you knew like, okay, I've got to push myself to to do this, to really reach this next goal. Um, so I, I I would describe myself, first of all, I will say as a multi-potentialite. 
And then I've Ooh. always a very diverse um, group of interests that I pursue, and many of them concurrently, even as it relates to what I do from a professional or work standpoint. So although I'm predominantly like a corporate Fortune 500 executive, I've also built and bought companies because I, you know, so I, I, I like natural bath and body works products. So I decided to 20 something years ago, you know, get, take a hand at making my own soap and creams and those kinds of things. And then you can't make a single bar of soap. So I just ended up with a surplus and created gift baskets popular that it became a business and grew to a that I, you know, that I couldn't run it. I had like my ex and nanny and my stepdaughter, like, you know, all helping. And it's some, and then I sold it when I recognized it also when things that I'm super passionate about become my full-time job, then I like, so I'm a professional public speaker. I choose not to do that for on a full-time basis because I think I would enjoy it less if that's all I did. 100%. I see. Yeah. Tell your listeners to, um, you know, align and do the work that you're passionate about. But there's this, this fine line between passion becoming what you get paid for as well. So I, I uh, and uh, around figuring out what that is. For me, though, this drive from a, just a pure corporate exec standpoint has been around. I wanted to do, um, I, I wanted to run larger and larger teams and businesses, but because it challenged me, because there was complexity that came, you know, that first COO job was, I think we had five or 6,000 employees to then when it grew to, you know, the likes of me working for IBM or Accenture and leading tens of thousands of people within their organization. Uh, the complexity that comes with, with that, um, I'm just so not a status quo girl. And so for me, what fueled me was learning something new and different and being challenged um, by something that was presented to me. And so that pushed me through. Now, naturally for me, that meant I um, took on more and more senior roles. You know, the financial stuff came along with that, but it actually wasn't the motivator for me. I was so much more so, you know, committed to how am I solving this next challenge? Like, how do I like big, hairy, meaty things is what I enjoy. Uh, that's how I push myself forward. How would you say during those, during that journey, can you remember how you, I don't want to say sold yourself, but like how you presented yourself to the powers that be to get you to the next level? Because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, there had to have been some sort of conversation with somebody or some sort of promotional process. Oh. Like, how did you know how to package up your strengths and all of that to get you to where you wanted to go so quickly? I am. Um, so I, I generally attribute the career success I've had um, in broad buckets, but into like four or five areas. Okay. Resilience, we've already spoken about. That's a right. big, what I yeah. didn't mention is, you know, the being resilient for me, I've also created this no excuses mantra. We have the mm. in terms of how we are going to respond when challenge, adversity, or obstacles come our way. Doesn't mean, again, we, we can't cry and have the emotions, but then we right. pick ourselves up and we right. make it in terms of how we move forward. So resilience is one. The ability to create boundaries, and I share this for, you know, those who m might be parents, partners, have aged, aged parents that you're taking care of. Like there's demands that we have outside of what we do for work and the ability to create boundaries. And so I became a, so actually at, when I became COO at 24, I was a new mother. My oldest son was only three months old uh, at that point. So I had to 
create boundaries. So for me, the things that don't bring me personal or professional joy or value, I say no to, I delegate or I outsource. So that's a lot, do a lot of these things, be the multi-potentialite. Uh, the, the other things would be around performance. So I got very clear on how is success measured in this company? Because it can be, they could say, hey, we're focused on sales and revenue, profitability. But you know what? The, the, really, there's these other things over here that we're not telling you about. So like, be clear around what that looks like and make sure you're performing against that. And it also in very, very much is around improving our skills. So that shelf life of skills is rapidly reducing. You're particular if we're talking about technology. Uh, and so don't trust in other people that you want a leader who's going to invest in you and your personal growth and development and tell you where you need to go to get to that next level. But don't put trust and faith in that. You are the CEO of your own career. And so really connected to the world at large and where it's going, the business, its strategy. What skills do I know that I'm going to need to have for the future? So, I mean, everyone's talking about generative AI. So you, depending on, again, the role you sit in, like, where are we going to go with that? So that's what I mean by performance. And the, the other one is maybe where you were really getting to is around brand. How do you sell yourself? So my brand is something I've worked. I didn't have the vernacular. I wouldn't have called it personal brand 20 years ago. But that shift into a B2B environment, all of a sudden you're responding to RFPs and you're competing with people and recognize, you know, people do business with people they like, trust and want to do business with. Well, how do they how do they know me? How do I build this? So for me, foundationally, you know, the, you know, the brand and when I coach people on on how to how to build it is the first piece that everyone thinks about is just the what's my subject matter expertise i'm a technology data analytics person i know this industry okay but that's that's just the sort of the foundation the next part is what's your story well um you know what are the unique differences you bring to the table the next is what's your unique value proposition how are you different from other right people? that's so important that's thing for me. That's about being radically candid. So I'm going Boom. to feedback because I care, because I want us to progress. I want them to improve. Uh, clients don't always expect that. They're used to people like just telling them what they want to hear, uh, and so that's that's part of what is my in my unique value proposition. And then the last piece of that is like, what's the legacy and what I want to be known for? Okay, well, on my proverbial tombstone, it's not going to talk about the sales, revenue, profit, mergers and acquisitions I've done. Um, I want it to talk about who I am as a human, that leadership aspect around that I did created better workplaces, communities, and left the world a better place when I came into it. And so those are all the elements consistently. And so a lot of my um, career trajectory has come through people knowing my brand and coming to me. And so recruited for roles as a result of being very clear around I, what I'm good at uh, and how I'm going to deliver. That I see. And, and it really boils down to knowing yourself and n knowing the strengths, knowing your weaknesses, knowing maybe what you need to outsource. So and I, I never thought about it like that of we're all CEOs to a degree. We, we're all CEOs of our own career. I, I love that that you said that. That's so awesome. So if we're thinking about the the job market right now, um, there's a lot of people out there that um, maybe have been laid off or uh, like I described earlier, maybe they're looking to kind of jump into something completely new. What what advice do you have for them or, or what are some of the uh, best pieces of advice that you give to those that you're coaching today? 
Well, one piece is the one thing I've shared already is around sort of aligning to the things that you're passionate about. Although at the same time, balancing when passion becomes the full-time job, whether you that, um, but but following following that path. I mean, I live by this 80-20 rule. Like I want to get up and 80% of the days I wake up, I'm energized and excited to go in. There's always going to be some bad days. There's always going to be some work activities that I really just don't enjoy or some people in the business that I don't enjoy working with. So that 80 the find find that for you. Um, get really clear on the purpose and impact you want to have, and finding the kind of roles that align to that. So I'm currently in career transition. I made a decision to leave Accenture um, a couple of months ago, and I want to go back to a very different kind of work. And so I can very clearly articulate what I do and don't want to do that will make me happy. But that said, the other on on the flip side of that, summer I recognize we're in this looming recession, and lots of people have been. And so sometimes people are just going to have to do things to put, you know, meals on the table for their family. And that's OK as well. And then you just have a mindset, you know, so maybe you're in that. Yeah, as I said, you know, the outsourcing world that I was in, people are going to land there temporarily till they get back on their feet for the world that they want. And, and that's OK, too. Um, it doesn't diminish who you are as an individual. Like, don't feel, you know, guilty or bad um, around that. Those are the choices you're going to make. And. But there's also other ways to supplement. So whether it's take some of the skills that you've learned all of the, you know, over these years and look at the gig economy, Upwork and Fiverr, there's fractional roles that exist for the startup community who can't afford or don't have a need for a full time whatever in their business. There's ways to do that. And that can actually start to flip the switch into maybe for someone who wants to do a pivot. And so for folks who maybe want to check out some of your speaking engagements or maybe want to get some coaching from you, where, where can where can our listeners find you? I have a, a website, which is victoria-peltier.com. I won't spell it. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Yep. And there people can, again, see samples of me speaking, um, a lot of the content that I write, or they can choose to link out to LinkedIn or wherever else they might want to um, connect and follow with me. You've been listening to Badasses in Tech. This original content is brought to you by GrowthStack Media. If you're eager to take your brand or business to the next level through podcast creation, video production, or public relations support, we've got you covered. Visit growthstackmedia.com today to book a free consultation or feel free to reach out through our contact details listed in the show description. That's all for today. But stay tuned for more exciting episodes on the horizon. Until then, I'm Summer Mitchell, and this is Badasses in Tech.